The Tablet Show, episode 57, with guest Brian Noyes. Recorded live Monday, October 15th, 2012. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Brian Noyes about building line-of-business applications in Windows 8. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Rochester! Welcome to The Tablet Show! Just another night in Rochester, New York. You guys are awesome. We love this town. They're feisty. Yeah, they got some spunk in them. They got some M&Ms in them or something. (laughs) Somebody's been throwing M&Ms. I don't know who. In a theater that doesn't allow any food. How did this happen? I don't know. So we're here with Brian Noyce. He's going to be coming up in a minute. But first, we have to do our business and uh, run the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, bud, what do you got? Well, if you go to tinyurl.com slash winrtwebcam, you will see a blog post in, uh, from January of this year mm-hmm. in which this guy shows you how to display the webcam preview in a formerly known as Metro style app <laughs> using WinRT and XAML. Nice. Yeah. So you can just pull, there is, is it a contract? Um, no, it's uh, just an API call. Okay. But, but it ends up using the the camera options dialog from, and I know you can't see this, I'm showing it to Richard. Mm-hmm. It ends up using the, the, the camera stuff built into WinRT. Nice. So there is all the camera interface there. Yeah. You can plug it in. And, and you can capture the audio stream and the video stream and do exactly what you want with it, just very much like Silverlight. Great. Funny how much it's like Silverlight. It's funny. It's like Silverlight 6, only Shh, different. You can't say that. I can, because I don't work for Microsoft. Nice. <laughs> so, who's talking to us, Richard? Uh, I grabbed a comment out of show 49, and if you recall, that was John Somnez's show talking about Mono Game. Oh, yeah, what a great... And, uh, this is a big comment, but it's you'll like it. It's from Ass of Stone, who says, Dear Carl and Richard, wow, just... Wow. Just wow. (laughs) I think that this show is the one that made all the pieces of mobile development just fall into place. In a lot of the first shows, the question of natives versus cross-platform development, HTML-based, kept rising, and it seemed that cross-platform development is a suboptimal idea for two reasons, performance and user experience. And performance. And performance. Uh, HTML5 plus JavaScript, despite recent advances, is still significantly slower than native object uh, C, Java, C Sharp, and an HTML-based app will always suffer from having a behavior that is inconsistent with the platform. Now, with Mono, it is possible to develop an application in C-sharp that will target all of the major platforms, but that only gives you reuse of your language skills because you still want an Android app to behave like Android apps. Mm. The only accepted exceptions are games. You want Angry Birds to behave like Angry Birds, regardless of the platform. 
because a game's world metaphor has more weight than the operating system. Mm -hmm. But what if we could make our business applications be more immersive, have the unique language of our application be so compelling that it would outweigh any exceptions to the platform? That's exactly my, that was my big point in that show. Sure, Mono Game could allow us to build just that. But why stop there? What if we could really make our applications into games? Why not chuck that TLDR user guide and instead start with a new user with a few training levels to get him up and running? Why mm. delete a file if you could crumple it up with a pinch gesture and flick it towards the wastebasket? I love that. What if we started giving points for successfully using features of our system and gain levels for following best practices and a badge for completing training levels of source control management? That's awesome. How about bragging rights in user forums? Hmm. I think that with Monogame, we could transform any drab old business application into something that is fun, something that will compel us to improve the way we work. Imagine a world where people would write automated tests for their software or commit their code frequently or refrain from breaking builds because it was fun to do. Yeah. yeah. It is fun. You don't get shot with lawn darts. Right. Uh, and that's best, how we know. And the best. <laughs> And the best part of it all is you actually get to write most of it once in your favorite computer language. I think I'm going to reboot my pet project. Thanks for a wonderful show and keep them coming, ass of stone. Well, you know, and the thing is that there, you know, a game is a game and there isn't a whole lot of, you know, line of business type input controls and things like that, that you would have to figure that out. I mean, there was some guy who had a project that you could actually do XAML based, you know, text boxes and things like that and pickers inside of, uh, you know, an XNA game. But uh, reality is that infrastructure just isn't there, right? So. I, I do buy into this whole idea of creating an app, a good learning experience within your app. Yeah. That, you know, we, we did this back in the MDI era with tool tips and hover overs and tutorial pieces and wizards and all things right. to sort of make it when you're a junior with the app easier to use. And then as you become more experienced, you're using all the shortcut keys and things like that. Yeah. So I, I think the same, that metaphor still works. I just think you have to approach it a totally different way now. Absolutely. Anyway, Asif, thank you so much for your message. I appreciate the thoughts. Uh, we certainly are in, on board with that. And we're going to send you out a rare and precious Tablet Show mug. And if you'd like a mug, just write a comment on the site at thetabletshow.com. And with that, let me introduce our guest, Brian Noyes, who really doesn't need any more introduction because, man, you are a veteran of .NET Rocks, a veteran of the .NET industry, done so many, uh, so many different technologies through the years. And now you're really focused on Windows Windows Store apps. What uh, you you gave a really great talk here today about, which if I could summarize would would be, okay, so you want to write a line of business Windows Store app, put you know set aside some time to to learn stuff because it's not going to be it's not going to be run a wizard and it just runs in well, Windows even, Store. Well, even even more so, it's don't think about your line of business app as the app you have now. Yeah. It's a whole new app, possibly for one of your existing users, possibly for you know a small subset of your existing use cases. Yep. All those heads-down data entry forms, they stay in the desktop app. Hmm. But those more interactive, view things, select things, you, know, you can still create data. One of the things that's misleading about you know, all, almost all of the SDK samples and almost every demo and almost every built-in Windows 8 app is it's pure content consumption. Yep. Mm -hmm. you know, it's data coming in your face, and right. it's just about browsing that data. Right. Now, there is a certain subset of business use cases that that applies to, 
but a, a bigger part of traditional LOB apps is Entry. creating, yeah. yeah, creating data, not consuming. That's it. the C in CRUD, exactly. Yeah. But you know, you did a demo earlier tonight that I think was a good one. Uh, the the one you got from Robert Green there yeah. that emphasizes that data entry doesn't have to mean 500 data entry fields on a, on a screen. Yeah, you absolutely. know, there are tasks that you do as a user. You can only focus on one or a few things at a time. Right now, you know, the, the audience of this show and, and here tonight are the kind of people who are going to have four or five apps open at once. We're going to have our Twitter feed. We're going to have this. And, you know, we're going to be bouncing back and forth between email and browser and mm -hmm. Visual Studio and mm -hmm. so on. We're not representative of your average user. And, he, you know, here's the other thing that comes to mind when, when you talk about this is that sometimes data entry doesn't have to be done all in the same place at the same time. Exactly. Like you can, if you're out in the field and let's say you're entering data on cars, you know, you, you can enter one piece of information that would either by picture or by typing it in, that would allow somebody in an office sitting at their desktop to fill in the rest of the details. Well, exactly. Or, you know, the, the biggest thing I see working with customers, there's, you know, one in particular I've been working with recently who will remain nameless to protect the guilty. Hmm. Uh, they'll know who they are. Mm -hmm. But uh, they have an app where, you know, they have this one screen that I just constantly would bang on them for because right. they were presenting about 15 different kinds of data in a single screen and right. a big hierarchical grid. And I would push them on it and say, how does, show me how someone uses this. Hmm. And they would have this cop, cop out answer that was like, well, different people are using it in different ways. So we just got to put everything on the screen right. so that everyone can use it and however that's they not want. Thinking about the problem hard exactly. enough. Exactly. You, you, you know, you got to do a little bit of research into who your users are, what their use cases are, how they actually, what their workflow through the application is. Yeah. And then you can design some screens for that. The grid is the universal. I don't know what you're going to do, so I'm going to let you do anything you want. Excuse exactly. for not programming. Exactly. Yeah. Developer design screens, not customer design screens. Well, and this is even, you know, discussions with their, their user representative, their mm -hmm. product owner, who's supposed to represent his users, but he, he, you know, punts basically and says, well, that's too complicated to figure out what they really want. So I'll just throw everything at them and let them figure it out. It does, that does seem to be the standard cop out. Just put it all on. Yeah. Yeah. Whether they use it or not, it's not something else entirely. You know, we had a conversation a few days ago with, uh, Michelle, who was talking about using heat maps, actually looking at what parts of the client people were actually using. Like, I'd be interested in taking that monster hierarchical grid and collecting that kind of data to see how many pieces of this nobody uses. And just for people who don't understand what we mean by heat maps, this is a, a website where you can look at a report that just has little circles around the places where people click the mouse. And so you can see just with one visualization, you know, where people are going to and, you know, find the problems that, well, why did they think to click on that label instead of this button? Exactly. You know. Well, and the, that's exactly what was popping into my mind during your presentation earlier when mm -hmm. you were talking about the, the analysis loop there and the, the data collection. That's exactly what, you know, a lot of customers need is to be able to have a clue. You know, they, they didn't do the upfront analysis. They right. didn't do their homework, well, but you, they can let the tools do some of the homework for them. I, and I buy into, you know, it's the old Tom Peters line of ready, a, ready, fire, aim. Yeah. Like get I, the version I, out there and watch people use it and then adjust accordingly. Exactly. But you, you've got to have the instrumentation to be able to do that in the first place. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Or at least the instrumentation can compensate for, you know, a lack of upfront understanding. It's not always their fault, right? Yeah. They, they're, they're putting some functionality out there. They really might not have any clue how the users are going to do it. So, you know, in that case, the tools has become essential. But I fear this monster hierarchical grid thing that you could never, the, you've mixed use cases, mixed classes of users all together on the same page, and it's going to take some time to decompose that. Exactly. Like even that heat map thing would just show, you know, how do you figure out that one group of users, that's their heat map, another group, it'll be yeah. a different heat map. You need right. a trail. You need buttons exactly. You need uh, buttons with numbers on them that said they did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. Yeah, you've got to and, track and since, their interaction through the application. Yeah, and mm. since the grid com- collapses and expands and changes, you can't really look at that in one picture. And the scroll, 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 oh, yeah, because they it. put too much on the screen. So yeah. you, one thing that you said that I'm taking home, and everybody else can too, is that when you know the boss comes to you and says, I want to run this app on the iPad. You need to say, no, that's actually not what you want. You, what you want is an iPad app that lets you do what the outcome of that app is. Well, and even more importantly, specific uses of that app. Mm-hmm. Specific you know, uses. Every right. app, you know, every, almost every line of business app out there does a hundred different things. Right. And there's probably less than 10% of them that are good candidates right. for a tablet. Hmm. You know, so what you're really talking about is making a lot of smaller, more specialized apps exactly. for the task at hand. Well, and it might even be just one app. but it, Start with a hub, the, for example. The app really needs to be focused on who's going to use it. That's the other part is understanding what the different personas are that use your application. Yeah. You know, it, it's been normal in desktop applications in particular to write the one big app and just say, well, you know, user X uses this set of menus, and user Y uses this set of menus, but we'll just kind of put it all in one place because then we've only got to deploy once right. because deployment was a pain. Yeah, you know, th- So that was part of the driving force there. I think about one of the, you know, what are the reasons why we designed apps like this? And near as I can tell is because of context. And on a desktop app, we have this context. We have all the stuff in memory that we need, and now that we have it all here, you know, you have to figure out how to navigate my screens in order to do what you particularly want. Be, you know, you know, it's all in memory. It's Absolutely. all there. It's all, you know, but you don't have that sort of, you don't have to know everything all at once in an app. It, it, it's very easy to just, and we learned this from web apps is that you have a specific task. You go get that. You, you deal with that situation and then you move on. And the data is, up there, it's not contained in your app. Exactly. So there isn't any need to keep all that context in one app. Yeah, the app is just a rendering of that data and the experience, the the flow you want to take through. Right. So it really does come down to what you know. What are the cases that you need to do, and we'll break those into much smaller, much more digestible apps. Well, and I think you know the the other key thing there of thinking about it that way is the fact that. I haven't run across a business yet that says, I just want to build for Windows 8 or I just right. want to build for iPad. Absolutely. As, as soon as they say, I want to move off of the desktop, yeah. it's, I want to run everywhere. Everywhere. And again, they've got, you know, kind of the mistaken perception that I'm going to run all of my existing use cases everywhere. Right. They got to get over that first and think about what use case makes sense on what platform. Now, what are they after when they want to do this? Is it the bring your own machine to work thing? 
It's a little of both. I mean, it it depends on the domain and the type Mm -hmm. of business. That's certainly becoming very common. And and especially when they're talking about running on many different platforms like that, that's one of the motivations. Because the other piece I think is interesting on the line of business side is this idea of being able to bring the machine to the work rather than bringing the work to the machine. Like how much does our data entry actually change if we aren't stuck at the cubicle? Right. If we're not on the desktop machine, this machine goes where the work is. Now, how would you collect differently? Well, I, you know, first off, you have the right, have to have the right input to do that. Mm-hmm. So certainly, you know, being able to either dock that tablet and have a real keyboard there or have a device like the Surface has with an attached keyboard. Right. Um, you, you got to do better than tapping, you know, touch, ty- touch tapping, whatever you call that. Right. Um, for any kind of serious data input. If it's, you know, clicking a couple on-off buttons and configuring a profile, that's easy. Mm-hmm. But anything that's, you know, more insur- insurance agent in the field, you know, creating a policy for a new customer, right. there's a fair amount of data entry. So they got to be able to, you know, move between those roles of, I'm just showing you prospectus and right. I'm showing you product offerings and things yeah. like that with swipey gestures and it's really content consumption. Yes, sort of brochureware. Right. To switching to, oh, I sold you? Okay, now let's capture the minimal information that I can turn this into a real But I also think now you have a device in the field that has a camera, that has audio recording. Like, there's other captures there that would facilitate detail entry later. Yep. Also, you know, you just sort of triggered something in my thinking that I'd be really interested in building brochureware on a tablet and seeing how people react to it as you show them. Like, actually, that data gathering of... What screens, what data, you know, what scenarios actually appeal to more people? So even if you don't make the sale, the reactions you get from folks could be captured by that device. Yeah, that can be, it depends on the consumer again. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, a mix sword. Like I remember a few years ago at Dev Connections going into the, uh, the Aurora restaurant there in the Mandalay mm-hmm. and they brought out the wine list was on a tablet. Right. And naturally being a techie, I was yeah. all over that. I right. was like, this is awesome. But right. then I picture my mom using that and she'd just be like, you know, what do I do with this? So, well, it, but really would she? Because I, my mom has a problem with Windows. But I don't. Th- she doesn't have a problem with a simple screen that I can go like this. That's true. Actually, I, I got her uh, a Kindle Fire for Christmas, and she's been enjoying that. So she's yeah. she's a bit technology averse, but you know. Right. But they're learning the flick and pinch gestures. The more devices doing that. Definitely. I'm not running in devices when they don't do it. I'm sad, right? Like Absolutely. The, the GPS yeah, unit. That's funny. Yeah, I reached up, <laughs> reached up on the GPS unit in the road trip and went to pinch it to change the resolution. It's, it's not a touch screen. Yeah. Uh, there's a button for that. <laughs> but I think, you know, yeah, there's a little bit of learning curve, but mostly what it's an unlearning curve. Yes. You know, I mean, think of all the training that people have had to have on software because of its complexity. Right. And, and then think of handing your kid an iPhone. And, you know, within, and even with the Windows tablet, the build tablet, the one we got to right. build last year, they handed out. Um, my daughter got a hold of that and she was gone and she was eight years old. Of course, the only, uh, same thing. My, my son was uh, six at the time, gave it to him and he had been using an iPad for a while. So he at least had the, you know, the touch interaction yeah. down. But, you know, it, switching between platforms with, for him. No. No problem. He, he didn't see it that way. It was just, oh, look, more stuff to touch. There's stuff over there. On. I go like this. I press that. I pinch this. It's just those three gestures are everything anybody needs to use these things. Right. This portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? 
I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting The Tablet Show. Uh, let's push back on this idea that we couldn't use, couldn't fill in some big forms in the field. I mean, you can't put a, the way that the, the tablet apps lay out, you're not going to put a lot per screen, but the screen can keep on scrolling. Well, and not even necessarily just scrolling, but navigating. And right. I think that's the big difference in terms of the way people, you know, think about a line of business app. Yeah. We're all sort of trained to think about it as, well, I'll just pop up another dialogue. Right. right. You know, or I'll put more th- stuff that they got to scroll to on this one big screen. Yeah. And it's more about, you know, wizard-like experiences right. for data entry that says, you know, there is a user workflow here. And it gets back to that example with the hierarchical grid. Mm-hmm. Right. There are some paths that different user personas take through that application yeah. for data entry. Mm-hmm. And it's figuring out what those paths are and then giving them a flow that mimics that workflow sure. in small digestible chunks so that they certainly could, you know, and, and I, you know, talked earlier about generally you're not going to have a Windows 8 application with hundreds of screens. Mm-hmm. Right. The scale is just wrong there. But yeah. dozens of screens, possibly. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as it's laid out decently and as long as it leads the user through the workflow the way they want to go through it. And I yeah. think about when you go to the doctor and you fill out, have to fill out the same form every time, you know, in multiple triplicate quadruplicate and you know most of it is you know do you have you know this and that and it's mostly check boxes that could so easily be done on a Absolutely. tablet mm-hmm. and you know the other thing is like insurance well you know how about a drop down list to select providers or how about uh, you know what you did last time and if you have to type a policy number oh my god you know you you type the policy number. It's not a big deal. Exactly. That'd be a perfect uh, application for a tablet. Yeah. yeah, it really doesn't go much beyond you know entering an address, uh, you know, a little bit of contact information for yeah. for or the equivalent to that for a lot of applications. And here's the best part of that about that app: when you come in next time, you're not adding it; you're just approving it. You know? Yep. That's what I said last time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Same, 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 same. Yeah, I'm still smitten with this brochure we're thinking. We need our, our, our sales agent in this case would probably pre-fill in a bunch of the information about the person anyway. Right. Then when they, but I also like the idea of building a really great brochure where app would only show you policies you'd qualify for. Yeah. Right. And, or that better still. So look at the demographic data of, you know, married couple in their thirties with a couple of small kids. You have a pretty good idea of the kind of policies they'd be interested in. So the fact that the app would assist with all of that. Right. Yeah. You're shaving down the amount of data you actually have to collect. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and a lot of the focus in terms of, you know, line of business sets here, disconnecting that turn that 
that term means different things to different people. Mm, sure. But, you know, the more traditional line of business, uh, 400, you know, screens and 100 dialogue kind of application, mm-hmm. that's more of those internal workers, you know, sitting at a desk all day. Right. And, and there's no reason to move them off of that. You know, yeah. I, I, when I'm... When, when I'm rarely at home uh, and I'm working on my, you know, dual monitor Windows 8 machine, right. I don't touch the Metro, the start sure. screen at all, other than like you demoed earlier, just yeah. to search, you know, for an app and launch it. Right. Um, so, you know, there's really no compelling reason to try to force them for those no. kind of tasks into a Windows 8. It's really these more go, edge case. But if you're going to go down that path, you're really talking about reworking the workflow of the organization entirely. True. Why is that person in that cube doing those things? Couldn't it be collected a different way? I mean, it could. Yeah. So you sort of open the door to this whole, you know. Yeah. I, I think of stuff like they're filling in forms in the field in paper, and they're arriving in your inbox to be typed <laughs> in. Well, the problem here is not what operating system you're using. The, the problem here is they're filling in paper forms somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Stop that. Exactly. Stop right. doing Get that. Get more efficient. Yeah. Well, again, bring the tablet to the workspace. You know where that stuff would be collected in the first place, and you right. can change the dynamic entirely. So you know, Jeez, well, we just did that today, didn't we? We just did that today. As a matter of fact, uh, the swag app that we pass around here mm-hmm. is very simple app. Name and email address, and we pass it around and. And you guys didn't, you know, maybe a couple of you had to get up because you're five seats away from somebody, but the the data came to you. You didn't go to the data. And that's like the perfect example of Mm -hmm. how this tablet app works. Better for them, better for us. Yeah. You know, we didn't put cards in a bowl. We right. didn't write names out on paper. We didn't force them to register their names all in advance and make sure they're we here. We don't have to read their handwriting. We don't have to read their handwriting. <laughs> oh, we've done a lot of that. Yeah, go watch the, <laughs> go watch the DevReach swag giveaway when we are when I was reading uh names of Bulgarians in Cyrillic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stovan Skivostovich. And everybody <laughs> That was funny. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like the data entry approach better, and, and the portable device changed all right. that. I, I don't mean, think we're doing enough with the audio recording and the video capture and you know, well photos said. and things like that. Very this true. There's so much potential there. Very true. It really is. And that stuff gets even easier with the Windows 8 APIs because mm-hmm. it's right. all you know, built around the idea of a mobile device, a tablet that has all these sensors and trying to make the, the sensor input as readily available as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I like this idea of uh, data entry being done by more than one person at one time, uh, or not necessarily all at the same time, but you know, taking the tablet out or the phone out to do the entry that is required there, right? And then the rest of it can be looked up. You know, for example, if all you're getting is somebody's social security number or their customer ID or their email address, for example, is perfect. Most companies know all about you by your email address, so you have that. The rest of it can be looked up, and if there's anything, you know. Exactly. Well, yeah. and like Richard said, you know, usually uh, for the salesman-type scenario, there's some contact ahead of time that that stuff could have been gathered Absolutely. by someone at a keyboard. Yeah. Speed things up. Yeah, so so goal number one, um, is this the right app, right? Goal number two, shave down how much data we actually have to gather. Exactly. Yeah. And definitely be, you know, a service-based architecture so that you're not right. locked to that one device. Right. It's, you know, fairly easy to create the, that on multiple platforms. And the contextual idea of you know what you were last doing in this app, so you know where to pick up when you left off. The, the, the nightmare scenarios like you have, you know, you're an insurance agent or whatever, and you've got five form dialogue boxes deep in this app, and then it's lunchtime. You close your machine down or whatever, come back, 
You got to get back in there. Now you got to load up the app, wait for it to load, load what you were working on for your five screens, navigate in there, and that's where you were working off. But, you know, if, if it knew that, you could go home or on your pick up your tablet and say, hey, this is where you were, this is what you were doing. You want to finish that? Actually, some of that gets a little easier in Windows 8 as well because of the navigation APIs that are built in there. Is, mm. you know, first off, you, you, one complexity you have to deal with that is new to a lot of people is the whole suspend, terminate lifecycle. Oh, yeah, sure. And yeah. the fact that you know when you swipe it off screen, if you don't realize this, when you swipe your application off screen, you know it goes into a suspend mode. It's still in memory, but no CPU. But at any point in time after that, if your system's running low on memory. The OS can come along and kill that app, terminate it. But you can't. But you have no events, nothing happens, your code is not executing. So you basically have to preemptively assume that any time you suspend, which happens as soon as you go off screen, that you will be terminated and you have to persist your state. So it's, it takes a little getting used to, but the good news yeah. is things like what you just mentioned, where was I? Right. You know, there, you just go to a, a, a state object, a page state object and just say, save state. Yep. Done. And next time it loads up, you call load state, and it goes right back to where you were in the application. Sure. And if your state is saved in the cloud, let's say. Right. You have the option of putting it in roaming settings, and it can roam to all your devices. So I can, you know, I get to that. I go through all the swipey gesture, browsing the product catalog type use case. Yeah. And I get to that, you know, three screens of data entry to put in my shipping, billing, that yep. kind of info. And you can't remember something, so you're yeah, like, so oh, I, I got to go home I and I can do just this. suspend there, go over to my desktop, light up the same app, and I'm right where I was on the other one. Yeah. So it's... It, you know, that, that part can be easier. You have to know the right patterns for it. Personal and contextual. Yep. It's one of the characteristics of a modern app and very easy to do in Windows 8. Now, on the enterprise side of this, dealing with multiple platforms, we don't have to want to write the app over and over again. Are you uh, got particular opinions on common platform stuff like HTML5 or PhoneGap? I've... <sighs> I, I've got opinions, but I don't know if they're strong enough to say, you know, here's the one thing for all people. Mm-hmm. Um, PhoneGap and, and that, that approach, you know, there's multiple platforms. You've got, yeah. you've got third party vendors with DevExpress and Telerik and so on that are putting out toolkits to make that even easier. Mm-hmm. But the general approach of, you know, doing it HTML5 based so that it theoretically just runs on any platform, you still have the case that you got to accommodate different form factors. Sure. And that's, you know, at least modifying the layout of your UI. And that's true for Windows 8 apps in general. You know, you have to accommodate portrait, landscape, snapped, and fill. You really need to design four screens right off the bat right. for every single screen in your application. Um, so that aspect doesn't get any easier, I don't think, with well, HTML5. I mean, yeah, HTML5 responsive web design, you know, some of the capabilities in CSS3 lend themselves to, oh, your screen size has changed, here's how you re-render. True. Mm-hmm. So there, there is some potential there. It's just that it doesn't work consistently from platform to platform right. either. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's always the, the, the hard one for me to answer for myself even right. is just the... Uh, giving the native experience, right. you know, uh, using some of those tools... An iPhone list looks a particular way. And yeah, if right. you're using the native, you know, APIs to generate that list, it's going to look that way. But if you generate it with one of these HTML5 based things, you're at the mercy of how well did they generate styles that make it look sure. kind of like it. But when we're talking about internal apps where there is no competition, I think right. they, keeping down the cost of development and still covering all those platforms Absolutely. is going to override Absolutely. the need for a perfectly native experience. Well, exactly. And there's the argument that, you know, was brought up in, in the email earlier is, 
is that even really necessary? Mm -hmm. Perhaps you really do want just a branded experience, right. even if it's a, a business type app. You may just want a branded experience regardless of the platform. Mm -hmm. You don't want to surface those platform characteristics. So let's talk about the guy who wants to develop a line of business app for his company and wants to deploy it on the, on the uh, WinRT tablet devices that we have. Right. We obviously don't want to go through the Windows Store. Right. As we have mentioned on the show before, there's a process that does involve, it's called sideloading, that does involve, you know, certificates and policy and all this stuff. Right. And so what is, we haven't really talked about exactly what that experience is like. Partly that's because there's a, a gross lack of information mm -hmm. on exactly what it's like at this point. Okay. Um, you've got kind of a developer experience that you can go and do it, and there's some you know PowerShell script type stuff out there that you can use as a developer to sideload it. Okay. Um, there's confusion over exactly which versions you can do that with. Um, because there's there's license agreement level kind of stuff, which you know we all love re reading license agreements. Right. Sure. Um, so there's license agreement level stuff that constrains you. There's versions. The main Windows 8 version won't support side loading as best we know at this point. So Windows 8 that comes on your run of the mill PC at right Best Buy or yeah, whatever exactly. isn't going to have it, which yeah. kind of makes sense. Right. True, yeah, because they're typically going to go for the ones that support all the enterprise-type features. Yeah, and that would mean an enterprise edition of right. Win8. Pro, basically, anything other than the Windows 8 that has nothing else on it is going okay. to support side Nothing else mm -hmm. after the name Windows 8. Exactly. Yeah. So even the Win Windows RT ARM-based tablet version well, will be, support the side It would be kind of silly if it didn't, because yeah. that's really what it's for. Yeah. Well, consumers, too, certainly. It's for I mean, consumers, it is, it but... Good competitor but with Office there and all the security stuff that we need in the enterprise, I mean, that's a very compelling enterprise device. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And the, the, the one other thing that's out there that's still very ill-defined in terms of what exactly does it look like and what's the experience going to be is back, I think it was maybe April uh, 2012 on the, the B8 blog, the main blog for the Windows uh, mm -hmm. 8 team, mm -hmm. they did a whole article on business deployment of Windows 8 applications. Right. And they described a scenario where you can set up basically a portal for your company where you can put your corporate applications. Okay. Your users can go to that portal and have some sort of a store-like experience okay. and be able to install certain apps. As soon as those apps are installed on your device, there would be some degree of your IT admins being in control of that app and being able, for example, to disable it Yep. immediately right. if that person got fired right. um, and, and things like that, but not you know, addressing the bring-your-own-device scenario, mm -hmm. not right. have any other control over the device. Yeah. So you, know, you can play your Angry Birds all day. They won't be able to stop you from that. Mm. But if you're using the corporate app, you know, they can change permissions. They can disable it. They have control of that app and its data. So what happened to that? Uh, they just haven't gotten much further than that you know, kind of pie-in-the-sky vision. Um, so, so what is the what is the story now? You you have to be an IT uh, whiz to to pull this off, or does you think your average small business IT guy can do it? I think your average small business IT guy could do it with the constraint that there the license agreement stuff kicks in. Is that some okay. of the constraint on doing side loading has to do with what kind of license you have, even if it's Windows Pro, as I understand it. And again, I don't profess or have any desire to be a licensing okay. expert. But as I understand it, even if you have one of those versions that supports sideloading, if you obtain that from, say, a shrink wrap, shrink wrap box copy on a store shelf, mm -hmm. you can't sideload. Oh. You need a 
volume license or an enterprise license kind of agreement. Yeah, small guy is not going to have that. But I, I exactly, think, your real estate office ain't going to have that. Yeah, this, these are enough obstacles that you just build an HTML5 and run it in the browser. True. You know, and it works everywhere, more or less. Exactly. And the feature set's pretty good, more or less. Right. Like it's just. Well, this uh, is going to be hard yeah. enough. Exactly. So, do you do you see? Do you hope? I mean, I hope, but do you see that uh, experience getting any better? Well, certainly what they described in that blog post is, you know, for bigger corporations that would have the infrastructure. Right. And, and, you know, this is pure speculation, but if you think about what products are out there that they might put this in, Mm -hmm. System Center certainly seems like where it would end up. Yeah, I I see it. I mean, throwing my IT hat on here, I see it as a a group policy deploy feature, which means you must be running Active Directory. You have to have a domain controller. Yeah, domain controller. You're probably using configuration management. Yeah. Which means... Fairly big enterprise, like right. that's, and lots of money, right? It's right. not cheap. It's not, and it's not simple. It does take a bunch of skills to make that work. Exactly. All right. So Microsoft, if you're listening, we want a really small business solution for side loading. Exactly. That doesn't require. I think that's where the huge gap is right now in terms of, of Windows of 8 dollars. adoption for business. I think it's going to go web. Yeah. You know, for all the small ones, they're just going to do it on the because you just bypass all the problems. Right. Right. Just go to this web page. That's the app. Rock yourself out. But yep. then again, you know, you have the problems of authentication and security, um, and, and a, just as much the same. Now you're pushing it to the application level. Yeah. True. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, you just done a bunch of work with patents and practices around there. So they're, they're trying to put together some documentation here. So when the day comes, because it's only a few weeks away, patents right. and practices, we're going to have a plan. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. We, uh, we're working on the project now. I'm working just uh, about a week, a month with them right now. And, uh, you know, they've obviously got a number of full-time guys working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, d- doesn't really have a name yet. We threw around some, you know, code names last week trying to name ourselves. But, uh, you know, they are just trying to figure and, and exactly what scope it's going to be is not even nailed down yet. You know, initially it's... So it's, this is Patterns and Practices Guidance for Line of Business Apps in Windows 8. Yes, that that is a completely accurate statement. Now, All exactly right. what that entails, you know, we're still right. trying to draw the boundaries around that. At first glance, you know, the way it was approached was, well, you need to port Prism to Windows 8. Right. Because you worked on Prism right, for years. I, right. I worked with the team on that. And um, remind us again what Prism does for those who aren't familiar. Sure. Prism was a, it was, is, uh, you know, still completely relevant for Silverlight and uh, WPF apps and to a smaller degree Windows Phone apps. It's really about managing the complexity of a fairly large scale app. It's got certain features you can use even in a, you know, two screen little app. Uh, things like commands and loosely coupled events are very lightweight, very easy to use. But then it's got the more power features, our regions and modularity really deal with when you have hundreds of screens and you don't want them all knowing about each other and right. you want to develop them independently of one another yeah. and you want to ship different feature sets and light them up dynamically and things like that. Composition, Composition was the word you is kind of the keyword, exactly. Yeah. So it's about composite UI applications was, yeah. was the buzz phrase there. So initially we walked into it, you know, with, with a lot of people saying, well, certainly you're going to port Prism to Windows 8. And like we talked about earlier, you know, our, our gut reaction was, well, a lot of what Prism does doesn't even make sense in a Windows mm-hmm. 8 app because you shouldn't have hundreds of screens and they're not going to be, you yeah. know, the, the 
yeah. physical or the you know the constraints of the platform don't even let you do some of the things Prism does, such as going out and scanning and finding things and loading them as plugins. Right. You know, you can do composability with the the managed extensibility framework is there for Windows yeah. 8, Mef. but but not true extensibility because you ship an AppX. Right. You know, it's a package certified got to be, you know, checked out kind of thing. Sure. You're not just going to load something you're up dynamically gonna, like you can with... Yeah, you're not going to drag and drop deploy a couple of DLLs into a plugins folder and then exactly. it's magically going to work. Yeah. Exactly. This is something you said during your talk earlier. So does the MVVM pattern even make sense when your apps get this simple? We still think it... I still think it does mm -hmm. and, and the rest of the team seems to con concur with that. It, you know, it, like I mentioned to the crowd earlier, it's something that... It's hard to get your head around at first, mm -hmm, but yep. once you get comfortable with the pattern, it's just a nice, easy separation of things. I, I always like to use a toy bin analogy. You know, right. when my son was young, we threw all the toys into one big giant toy bin. Mm -hmm. And then when he'd come to me and say, Daddy, where's my little Lego man? My head exploded because I'd look at the big bin and it was like, how am I going to find it in there? Yeah. So we bought multiple bins and we broke things up and we put this kind of toy over here and this kind of toy over there and this kind of toy over there and it became much easier. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more work up front to buy the extra bins, to label them, to figure out what goes where when. Right. But it's worth it in the long run. Also, and, the and, discipline to operate them correctly. Well, exactly, and yeah. and I think that's where you know that's exactly what MVVM is to me. Mm -hmm. you, you break out three toy bins instead of one big code behind, and you say, "This is where this kind of code goes. This is where yeah. this goes." Once you get used to that, it becomes just a natural way of working. You know, Alan Cooper in his uh, in treaties on UI design talked about sovereign apps. You know, apps that own screen space for right. an extended period of time that you actually learned how to use and got good at that you had running most of the time. And I hate to say Outlook, but you know, that's right. the one app that's always running is very much a sovereign app. There's an awful lot of the win eight metaphor that speaks to there are no sovereign apps anymore. Right. It's just one ADD app after the next. You <laughs> flip from here to there to there. Nobody owns anything anymore. Exactly. Toast pops up. Hey, you but got it, something but to do. But it also okay. means that, that, you know, you just can't get that much trouble with a given app. Exactly. So the 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 level of testing, the level of coherence, the level of separation of concern is just not that important because it's just not much that much in the app. If you keep it small, heck, you can rewrite them in a few days if you're not happy with them. Very true. Yeah, and I mean, I think it comes down to as you lean more towards the line of business app, then there's going to be more data entry screens. Mm -hmm. There's going to be more logic about when do I show what, when do I navigate to this page versus the other page. And those are the kinds of things that if you're rigorous about unit testing, you know, even if it's fairly small scale, mm -hmm. you want some testing on it. Yeah. And without the separation, you're not going to test it, mm -hmm. at least not unit test it. Yeah, there's a balancing act here. One, on one hand, you're asking us to push down on keeping the app simple. Right. And on the other hand, it's like, you know, this is going to be complicated enough that it needs to be well-architected. Absolutely. And, and you know, we're completely recognizing that. And mm -hmm. we're not pushing. In PRISM, we were, you know, almost zealot-like in terms of separation of concerns, unit testing. We had 100% coverage of all our code with unit tests. Right. You know, there were zero lines of code in every view, uh, code behind. We're not worrying about that. You mm -hmm. know, we're, we're going to have the separation of view models where it makes sense. But we're not, you know, making it religious doctrine in, in what we're talking and about. And just now. to be clear, the patterns and practices group isn't driving changes to Windows. You're taking what the Windows team has, understanding it, digesting it, and figuring out what the best uh, course of action is for using what we have. Exactly. PNP's charter up front was was, you know, in my eyes, I don't know how they'd state it exactly, but you know, they were put there to say. 
here's a, plat- a new platform when .NET first came out, 10 different ways right. to do a given thing. Here's you guys, what we think is best. Yeah, go watch the, all the crazy ways people are doing stuff. Figure out what's best. You're and the consumer reports of, of developer how-to. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah. Exactly. We have a question from the audience. So this notion of having lots of apps instead of one is bugging me. And I'm wondering, are there is there a way to extend the contract system to allow me to really share rich data that will allow those apps to act like they know the other app is around? That's a that's an excellent question. It's something that we focused on a little bit when we got started on the the whatever we are going to call ourselves this PNP work. And the answer is not really. So it, it, it you are very limited in terms of the sharing contract as the primary form of being able to hand something off from one app to another, get that other app running. And, and the sharing experience, you're limited to a little slice of the screen, similar to the settings panel or the search panel that pops out on the right side of the screen by default. That's where your sharing experience lives. So it's not like you launch the other app. You can hand it some data. It can have a little UI experience to save it mostly so that the next time the user comes to that app, that data is available. One solution to that also is the hub. You know, a hub is if you think about what the start menu is, that's a hub. Right. And you can use a hub control like Telerx hub control to sort of put all the subcategories of things that you want to do in your app, even though it's in the same app. And now you're talking about just launching different screens. Right, but now now you're one app, and you have to deal with the complexity and the trying size, to figure yeah. out how to, you know, and I mean, is, all the stuff that he's been saying we shouldn't do anymore. Right. Well, it's one or the other. Either you have a lot of little apps, or you have one app that launches a lot of screens. But right now, I mean, I guess it seems to me, right, right now, the idea of taking my enterprise app, we have this huge data entry app that I've been working on. Right. That thing is not ever coming over. Right. We might we might give people little pieces of views. Exactly. But there's not those little pieces of views aren't really going to be able to interact with each other in a meaningful way. So at the end of the day, you still need the whole app somewhere else because the interaction isn't there. Right. And and when I talk about, you know, I'm pushing on the make it small thing, be just mostly from a user experience perspective. But definitely, if you've got, like Carl said, you know, think of it as a hub page for your app where there may be take the Outlook, you know, dreaded Outlook scenario, but inbox, calendar, you know, they're, they're mostly independent sets of functionality, but they do have some points of interaction between them. So if you find you have that, then certainly you can put it under the umbrella of one app. You just got to have the right drill down experience and not think of it as 400 fields on a single screen for the user. You got to break it up so it fits within the, you know, expected experience for a, for a Windows Store app. Works for me. All right. Thanks. You know, the hub thing bothers me because I thought that's what the start menu was all about. Right? Well, the start screen was going to be the hub. But well, it's, it you know, getting around, it's a, it's a workaround, right? I mean, yeah. you have a problem that apps can't really share data. But this well. reminds me of what Silverlight 2 had that same problem where you had a tough time getting data from screen to screen. True. Um, there's push and pull on all these things. And, yeah. and so... Part of this is just reminding ourselves this is V1. Well, that's the thing yeah. is a lot of this is we're still, everyone's still trying to figure out yeah, right. what belongs there and what doesn't in the first place. And then how would you structure it to, to make it meaningful for the user? I mean, I've got a sense that I'd love to have a big enterprise app decomposed into pieces because each one, then you have those live tiles on the start menu, each one of them representing some portion of that app and able to communicate to the user like a dashboard. Right. Hey, you need to look here. Do you have a responsibility here that you haven't acted on? Ooh, click me, click me, click me. And remember, you know, they're all acting against the same data source. So one app uh, enters data, pushes it up to the cloud, and the other one is pulling that data down. 
So in a sense, the cloud is your sharing contract. Well, and when you think about that hub page, also you know think about some nonlinear navigation. Going back to Billy Hollis's uh, DNR TV with his his app with all right. You know, remember that one? Yeah. So that concept of non sticky notes. Yeah. Well, not necessarily sticky notes, but that idea that you could drill down, have a work in progress on this item, come back up, go over here, go have another work in progress. Mm. So think about the big fat square tiles, and you know a big tile that represents a category of, fun, of work within your app. Mm-hmm. And then the smaller tiles around it could be deep links yeah. into your works in progress. Sure. The dynamically come and go, you know, if, if something's done, it doesn't show up yeah, there. You're halfway through completing a policy and it just naturally makes a tile for itself until you finish it. Exactly. It so you have, away. you know, direct yeah, like access to get back metaphor. down to it. Yeah. Well, we get back to this. What, what is appealing to me, there's lots of things that annoy me on this new start screen. <laughs> Absolutely. But that, that context piece really appeals to me. That reminder of where you're at. I mean, I spent a lot of time and actually made a fair bit of money building <laughs> dashboards. Yeah. Right. And now right. here's this dashboard built into the OS right. that if we do it right, you know, is the mother of all dashboards. Well, and that's exactly really what I think of when we talk about a hub page is that yeah. it's the dashboard for mm-hmm. your app. Right. You know, it's that management level interface sure. that says, here's all the stuff that's going on with your business. And that is a good way to decompose everything into manageable pieces that can all work together in a whole. Right. Uh, guys, we're just about out of time. So I would like to give you to give another great big round of applause for Brian Noyes. And we'll see you next time on The Tablet Show.